Hi, I'm Dr. Amrita Karve, co-director of the Women's Heart Program at Mount Carmel Health Systems in Columbus, Ohio. To me, femtech means bringing physicians and innovators together to reduce the risk of heart disease in women, which is the number one killer of women greater than all cancers combined. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto. In today's episode, I interviewed Dr. Amrita Carve. She's the co-director of Women's Heart Program. Amrita is a cardiologist and the founder and co-director of the Women's Heart Program. This is a female-specific cardiologist office that aims to increase awareness of heart disease in women, reduce gender disparities in diagnosis and treatment, and to provide a concierge experience for women of all socioeconomic classes. In our interview, we discuss the underdiagnosis and risk factors of women's heart disease. Enjoy the episode. Hey, I'm Ritha. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Brittany. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. I thought that my background was pretty dope because I have all these dry erase boards and you can see I'm in like my little think tank, but your background is very impressive. Y'all, for those who are not watching on YouTube, she's got like six degrees hung up behind her. Thank you. Yes, they make us put them up. Apparently, I, I found this out. This is like a thing where doctors are required to put up their diplomas and some like liability thing. Really? Yeah, That's yeah. Cool. I did not know that. I did not know that either. <laughs> I thought it was just doctors being proud, you know, like, look it. But it's actually a legal thing. Yeah, there's some something about you having to show your credentials to patients. So maybe that's what that is. Maybe that was before the internet and it's antiquated. I don't know. <laughs> we couldn't Google you. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah, I just already we already learned something within the first yeah. of this podcast interview. <laughs> well, um, we always love to kick off our episodes with learning about our guests' background. We know where are you from? What did you study? Did you have a career before this? Or have you always been in women's health? And how did you uh, end up at Women's Heart Program? Yeah, so I grew up in a small town in Okemos, Michigan, which is a small town outside of East Lansing, Michigan, which is the home of Michigan State University. Um, After that, I went to Washington, D.C. to do my um, undergraduate and medical school at George Washington University, and then I returned back to the Midwest to do my um, residency in internal medicine at the University of Michigan, and then my cardiology fellowship at Ohio State University. I met my husband when I was a resident in Ann Arbor, and then we moved to Columbus, Ohio for my training, and now we live here with our son. So been kind of all over the country. Wow. How long have you been a cardiologist? So since 2017, that is when I finished my cardiology fellowship. Wow. Okay. Um, 
How many women are becoming cardiologists? Is this like a, a, I don't know if I've ever met one, a woman cardiologist. Really? Well, it's a good question. And actually there has been a lot of research dedicated to why there aren't that many. And, and you're right, to give you a better idea of the landscape. So 50% of medical students are women now, which is wonderful, but only 10% of cardiologists are women. Oh. So there's still <laughs> a huge gap. Um, and, you know, especially in the, in the private practice world where I am, it's even fewer than in the academic world. What? So don't oh, really know why that why? is. Um, you know, it is kind of just an old boys club. That's just sort of the culture of cardiology. I recently went to, well, pre-COVID, I went to the American College of Cardiology annual conference and you know, they meet yearly to discuss this and no one seems to really know why this is the case other than just the culture of cardiology itself. It's so odd. More women are going into urology and trauma surgery and neurosurgery, which are these very intense, you know, non-lifestyle um, fields, but not choosing cardiology. So something needs to change. We don't know what that is yet. <laughs> is urologist, uh, do they only see men or do they see women too? They see men and women, but generally people think of urology as like a, a man's field or a, a man's specialty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, whoa. Okay. 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 Wow. All right. Well, thank you for uh, being a trailblazer. Let's get some more women. If you are a student listening, cardiology is screaming your name. We need you, we need <laughs> you here because when women aren't at the table, we're not thinking about designing for women or what are the needs of women, right? There's studies that show without women in politics, when there's a natural disaster, tampons are not provided because they're not thinking about it, right? Or when women sit, aren't sitting at the table, the product is made for a man's ergonomics, not a woman's ergonomics. So um, I'm really grateful we we have somebody. Good, excellent. Tell us about what is Women's Heart Program. Yeah, so the Women's Heart Program was a program that I started with my co-director and partner, Dr. Laura Gravelin. And to give you a little bit of history about the program, when I first finished my fellowship in 2017, this was the first practice that I joined. And, you know, as we talked about the landscape, when I first joined, there was only one other woman out of a group of 20, which was is actually not surprising given the statistics. Um, but despite that, when I first joined, I, I really loved all of my partners. I felt very warmly welcomed and it was a great environment. I loved working with each and every one of them. Um, and what surprised me during my first year in practice was that a lot of women were requesting me to be their physician. And I thought, that's, that's odd. I mean, I would go to any one of my partners. I think they're great. Um, but it turned out that uh, many women just felt more comfortable talking to another female physician. They really felt heard in a different way. So mm -hmm. this, in my mind, raised the idea of a woman's heart program. And so you know, I, I brought it up and I found out that Dr. Laura Gravelin had actually brought it up a few years before I joined as well. And it was just not a priority at the time. But with the two of us together, we thought we could generate enough momentum to get it going. And um, so we definitely did. So, yeah, so the Women's Heart Program started. Um, it took a few years to, to get everything organized and going. And it finally opened in in. 
um, August of 2020. Amazing. And are, do you have lots of women coming? Yeah, it was actually booked right from the very beginning. There was, it was very well received by the community. Um, and, you know, we also felt like we really wanted to make a difference in, in how women were diagnosed and, and treated for heart disease because women are generally underdiagnosed and under undertreated for heart disease compared to men. Why do you think that is? Do we know why? So it's for various different reasons. Um, you know, some of the reasons are just that women don't recognize their symptoms of a heart attack as readily as they should. Um, for example, only 60% of women recognize chest pain as a presenting symptom of a heart attack, which is very alarming. And part of that, I think, happened sort of as like a, a misunderstanding of educational efforts over the years. The American Heart Association and other organizations have tried to to enforce the idea that women may experience other symptoms in, the dis in addition to chest pain um, compared to men. But um, some women or many women misinterpret this to think that, oh, well, if they have chest pain, it, it's probably not heart related. And maybe I experience it differently. And so I shouldn't seek attention. But chest pain is the number one presenting symptom of a heart attack in both genders. So, genders. so there's that. Then women are also under um, underrepresented in clinical trials. And then lastly, women also do do present slightly differently than men, and it's not always caught immediately. The physiology is also slightly different. So there are multiple different reasons why women are not um, treated. And then, you know, family priorities also come up too, where they may also be less engaged with their doctors and their practice because they're busy taking care of all of these other people. Yeah. You know, one of the statistics that people often quote in femtech, and I'm really hoping to eradicate it, <laughs> is that they say, you know, femtech is a good investment because women control 80% of the healthcare decisions. The reason I think that is not a great statement is because it's not 80% of the decisions for themselves. It's because they're deciding for the, the woman, her parents that are aging, she's deciding for her partner, she's deciding mm -hmm. for her children, she's deciding for the pets in the house, you know? So when we say like, oh man, femtech is so huge, women control 80% of the healthcare decisions, I'm like, yeah, but that does, it's not women's healthcare decisions. It's, a, it's kids' healthcare, elderly healthcare, and male healthcare usually, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It would be nice. And so, so we felt that it was nice to sort of direct the focus back to them again to say, hey, this is your moment to think about yourself. Let's talk about you and make sure you've got the help you need. So are there some other reasons you think that women would want to see a female cardiologist? Um, could it potentially have anything to do with, you know, your heart is behind your breast? Like, are there women that are just like, weren't like com not comfortable with a man? Or do you think it's like, more like men not believing women or what do you think the dynamics there are? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. So um, my partner, Dr. Gravelin, <laughs> about the breast issue, um, she is an electrophysiologist, meaning that she puts in pacemakers. So one of our patients um, had a pacemaker, which goes, you know, it's kind of just right above the breast. And it was, it was the positioning of the pacemaker was really hurting her and she wasn't able to wear a bra. And I guess she had gone to some other cardiologist before who said, oh, I will just have to 
live with it. Because <laughs> obviously a man is not going to know, you know, what a bra feels like. And, and so that's one of the, uh, like, I guess a more obvious example, yeah. but, um, but yeah, in general, it is a sensitive area. And um, yeah, I also have heard that women feel like they're not being heard or maybe they're just being dismissed as anxious. And, you know, it's um, even for me, I, I find that I can understand where they're coming from. Um, and I think we truly need to understand the patient perspective because like I said, with my partners, I, I think they're all great. I would go to any one of them. I think they're doing a wonderful job, but there's something different happening um, from the patient experience, I guess, when they speak to a, a female cardiologist. Yeah. A pacemaker. I don't know why I thought this. I thought it was like something that was inside the heart. Like where does a pacemaker go? What's a pacemaker? Yeah. So a pacemaker is a small device that it acts as like a backup heartbeat for the heart. Yeah. And it just okay. goes under the skin, um, right up here, right under the clavicle, well, below the clavicle. And it has a wire or two that extend into the different chambers of the heart. And so if it notices that the heart isn't beating, it sends a signal to tell the heart to pump. Okay. Is that major surgery to get a pacemaker put in? Not really. It actually only takes about an hour and then one night stay in the hospital. So okay. it's pretty simple. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. I was yeah. like, I apparently... I do not know what a pacemaker is because I do not know how your bra can be affecting it. So thank you for clarifying. Oh, yeah. well, thank you for asking that question. <laughs> um, you know, do you think that um, there are, you know, things for cardiology that are made for the male body and like women are suffering because of it. Um, maybe there are certain, you know, uh, you were talking about the pacemaker where it's located in a woman's bra, right? Are there certain like things that a woman has, you know, you have to wear it and you have to leave the office. It tracks your heart rate. Or I, obviously I'm, I do not work in heart health, so I don't know all the devices you use, yeah. but are there like medical devices or stents or things that you're like, this was obviously man for a male heart and like, it's not perfect for a female heart. So are there things like that? I think, I think you have sort of, there's two part answer to this question. One is in the diagnosis of, of heart disease in women. And then the second issue is in the, in the therapeutics. And I think if we're talking about the diagnostics first, um, while all doctors are trained to understand the risk factors and the overlapping disease processes for, um, we're not really taught in cardiology to, you know, ask a female targeted history. So for example, every single woman that walks through our doors for the women's heart program is asked about risk factors that she may develop over her entire lifetime. So starting from pregnancy all the way forward. And some of those risk factors include, you know, gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, miscarriages, even, um, you know, autoimmune disease, which is more prevalent in women than in men, um, psychosocial health, mental health, um, have they been, you know, victims of, of sex trafficking or abuse? And, and these are all questions that we ask them. We also ask them about breast cancer, breast cancer related chemotherapy and radiation, because these can also have different impacts on the heart compared to, and women compared to men. So while we're, while we technically know all of this, we don't ask it in this way. And so women are really delighted when they're asked, you know, this deep dive into their past about everything that may affect them as a woman. 
from a very early age. Wow. Um, yeah, I did not know those were like risk factors are, um, Absolutely. and I know you're going to go into therapeutics. So I'm going to pause you yeah, because I'm like, sure. that it's so juicy. Hold on one second. Like, do we know if menopause is a risk factor or do we know anything about like, do women more likely have a heart attack on their period or not? Like, are there like anything like, Whoa, we didn't know that, you know, the, the major thing is not is so more women tend to get heart attacks after menopause. Uh because of, um, you know, age, but also some of the changes in their body. But in general, we found that hormone replacement therapy is more harmful than good. So we asked about hormone replacement therapy. Are you taking an estrogen supplement uh, after menopause? Um, Most people are now moving away from that because most doctors, even OBGYNs, because they know of the risks. Um, But actually, some of the research might be changing slightly (laughs) to not be so anti-hormone replacement therapy. So that's something that um, might change in the future, but that's really the only major hormonal relationship. Got it. Got it. Tell us about the therapeutics. Do you think there's some, uh, you know, this was made for men, males and not females? Yeah. And I don't think that it's really that anything was specifically made for men and, and not made for women because both can benefit from the same technology. Um, but the way in which women develop heart disease can be slightly different. So women can develop heart attacks, but actually have normal coronaries. And the, the basis of a heart attack is that um, the blood flow in the coronary arteries or which are the, are the arteries that supply the heart muscle, if they get blocked off with a, a cholesterol buildup, then that area of heart muscle dies. And that's what a heart attack is. So most people, most men will develop like a discrete blockage that um, prevents blood flow from entering those or filling those coronary arteries. Whereas women can get something called microvascular disease, meaning at the very tips of those arteries, they can develop disease on a very... Um, microscopic level. So it's nothing that you can easily fix with a stent <laughs> and you have to just treat it with medications. And there's a whole spectrum of, of conditions on the, I guess, on the spectrum of a heart attack um, that, that affect women more than men. And in fact, there's now a term for that. It's, you know, it, it's technically called like a heart attack with normal coronary arteries. So, so that's where the treatment is a little bit different, but not because wasn't intended for women. There are plenty of women who get stents, Mm -hmm. Um, but we have to figure out, and there, there is research being done on how to treat microvascular disease and how to diagnose microvascular disease. Yeah. And you know, we are not man haters here, FM tech focus. We love our men. We do (laughs) love them. And, um, but what we do find is that it's not that people are like, forget women, we're going to make this for men. But it's like the baseline is it's like, it's all based on the male physiology, metabolism, et cetera. And then they're like, well, surely this will, we'll just make it smaller and it'll work for women. And then you realize like, oh wait, they're not just little men. Like, right. Like you're talking about, it's not this giant cholesterol blocks. It's these like micro issues. Right. And so that's what I'm asking about. Not necessarily like, uh, you know, cardiovascular people hate women. No, obviously. Right. But it's just like, we need the research. We need the money. We need the time and we need the people saying, Hey, listen, yeah, there's a lot of overlap in men and women's heart issues, but there's also things that are different. Right. Um, uh, I 
saw a paper that said that in order that one way to diagnose a heart attack was like took a blood sample and they like looked for a certain like metabolite. Um, and that it was very, it's very high when men have a heart attack, but not very high when women have a heart attack. Do you know what I'm talking about? There could be a few. Um, I don't know which one you're referring to. There, there could be a few that I could think of, but I don't know that it's like so black and white like that. Yeah. Oh, unfortunately yeah. it never is, is it? No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we just try to do our own research at Femtech Focus. So I'm always trying to find scientific papers coming out that are using gender as a variable in their research and mm -hmm. revealing, oopsies, <laughs> turns out when we have gender as a variable, like things look different. So that was one of them, but uh, I'll send you the paper later. We'll see. We'll see if it's debunked or I'm just reading it wrong. Um, but do, what do you think about like, what does comprehensive heart care mean to you for women? So to me, it means asking about all of the risk factors that mm. occur across a woman's lifetime, sort of like I had alluded to earlier, but also paying attention to what's going on at home, because it's very hard to give advice if you don't really know, you know, what else people are dealing with. Something even like dietary changes, if you don't know that they're taking care of, you know, three kids and their mother and, you know, and all of these people, it's going to be really hard for them to actually make any meaningful change in their life lifestyle. So um, I think that would be the, the most comprehensive way to approach heart health. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, how do you think we could get the message out there to women? I feel like um, we interviewed uh, um, Selena from Women Heart, and we were talking about how everyone's like, oh, breast cancer, breast cancer. But at the end of the day, breast cancer kills one out of 34 women, whereas heart disease kills one out of five. And so it's like, why do we not have like this really, why do we not, why are not all schools doing a, you know, walkathons for heart disease? Like, I guess they do. I remember doing like a sick jumping rope or something in elementary school for heart disease. I don't know, but I feel there's still this like big bias that all oh, women mostly die from breast cancer and not heart disease. So, you know, what do you think are some of the ways that like, how are we going to make people aware so I think that one of the ways is to, you know, to continue educational efforts by organizations like the American Heart Association and Women Heart. Also, you know, to empower women to be more focused or to be more um, um, public when they do experience something like a heart attack, because oftentimes if you're a woman going through a heart attack, you think you're the only one. And otherwise it's just a bunch of guys that are getting heart attacks. Yeah. So knowing that other women are suffering from the same thing will, will definitely help increase awareness. And then also more in um, more, I mean, primary care uh, uh, providers are already paying attention to reducing your risk factors over the entire lifetime, but also even in pediatrics and OBGYN, um, because obesity is affecting people at younger and younger ages, we're seeing heart disease at much younger ages and pregnancy-related complications at younger ages um, because some of those comorbidities like diabetes and high cholesterol develop so much earlier. So I think just starting at as an early age as possible. Yeah. Are, are different races of women um, affected differently or have different risk of heart disease? Absolutely. African-Americans are at higher risk of heart disease. Actually, South Asians now are also 
becoming at very high, they're now considered to be a high risk group. Um, you know, Interesting. just you think because it's of there. the cultural change <laughs> and okay, the dietary yeah. was, changes of fast okay. food. But they also have smaller coronary arteries. So there's a few, there's a few other physiologic differences too. So, but yeah, I mean, anytime you introduce unhealthy food, any differences, subtle differences between the races just become exaggerated. Wow. Wow. So, you know, for what I heard you just say is that may not necessarily be genetic, but it's like lifestyle. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if COVID-19 has taught us anything, it's that, you know, not everyone has the access to sustained healthcare or education or nutrition. Um, you know, there's grocery deserts and, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting. And, um, that's something that Femtech Focus has been able to highlight and say, see, even women don't have the same healthcare as men. And like, I think people are starting to catch on like, oh, wow, like not everyone receives the same care or treatment or awareness of, of this stuff. Yeah. Why do you think that women are not included as much in clinical trials for heart disease? And can you uh, tell us like a little bit more about that? So I think there was always probably a worry of pregnancy or other, you know, hormonal fluctuations that would influence the sample. But, you know, we need to know <laughs> what those are and, and why they matter. So before, I think people would just think that the simplest thing to do is to just include a bunch of men who are not going to have any of these changes and extrapolate that to the general population. And, mm -hmm. and I think people didn't know how to manage that. But there are a lot of organizations now that are working to change that. In fact, there is, um, oh, gosh, I have to think of the name, but there was, it was actually recently, I think, either put into law or in a massive effort to put into law to require a certain proportion of women to be represented in clinical trials. And I think that happened within the last two years or so. Yes, definitely. It's, um, you know, interesting to see that before 1993, it was illegal for women to be in clinical trials whatsoever. So 1993, they lifted that illegalness, but then we went like at least a decade, like probably even two, like you're saying here that it was, um, okay, well, you can include women, but we know they're complicated. So no worries if you don't. <laughs> and I think it's been a more recent thing that they're like, all right, y'all, for real though, you really need to include women because women have more side effects from drugs. Um, you know, women, we need, we're not just little men. Our metabolism is different, right? We need different dosages. Things work differently in our body. There's um, some research coming out from Europe showing if you use nanoparticles to deliver uh, drugs, and, and the woman is menstruating, the nanoparticles actually congregate in her uterus. And so it's like, Amazing. yeah, y'all, we should figure this out. <laughs> Patenting drugs, giving it to women and not asking, are you on your period? You know, like that's going to affect the treatment. It's yeah. It's so crazy. Um, Even the COVID vaccine, that would have been hugely helpful to know, right? <laughs> yes. Women. Yeah. Yes, Absolutely. yes, yes. I actually did like an Instagram story. I, I was like, the when they first started with the vaccine, I was like, okay, y'all, you're hearing about the vaccine, right? And it says, um, if you are pregnant or breastfeeding, ask your doctor. And I said, here's my question. Doctors out there, do you know something that the rest of us don't know? Yeah. Like, you know, and it's like the doctors are like, nope, they're just like putting it on us to decide yeah. if my pregnant or breastfeeding patient ha should have it or not because they just are not touching it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, you're partnered with Women Heart. We recently did an interview with them. What does that partnership look like? Yeah, Women Heart is a wonderful organization, um, and it's a survivor-led organization that um, that survivors of heart disease run. They help with advocacy, support, and patient education. So it's um, they have an annual symposium that meets once a year at the Mayo Clinic, and um, hospitals that participate send two female patients to the Mayo Clinic to get uh, training to lead support groups. So we did send two patients there in 2018. Actually, that was truly the start of the Women's Heart Program was yeah. the support groups. Um, and they did a wonderful job. Um, they helped lead support groups on a monthly basis. There was a lot of loyalty. And, you know, they, they do other things beyond just the support group. So they're encouraged to meet patients before discharge, to give them educational materials. They knit heart scarves that, that these survivors can give to one another to let them know they're not alone in this. Um, so we, you know, we did continue our partnership with them for as long as possible until the pandemic when they stopped allowing support groups. So yeah. we, we took a break at that time, but we definitely hope to restart again. Absolutely. It's all about, I uh, love that about Femtech. We're all about collaborating. We all know there's like this, there's this bigger mission of women's health and saving women's lives and fighting for women's health equality. And so um, I love seeing so many partnerships and collaborations. It's, it's amazing. Um, what are some of your future goals for women's heart program? There's like a little piece of me that's like, I hope you franchise and like everywhere there's like a women's heart program, you know, everywhere. <laughs> That would be wonderful. That is a long-term vision is to have it be a one-stop shop for all cardiovascular needs. Oh so, you know, you could go drop your kid off at daycare so you don't have to worry about them or at the child care service and then go see your doctor, get in a workout, go see your OB and then pick your kid up and go home. Child care oh, is a huge my part God. of it. You let me uh, know when you want a partnership <laughs> with Maven Clinic or Kind Body because I got you. Like Kind okay, Body is great. doing I that for fertility. Maven Clinic is doing that for OB Gin. Like that would be awesome. That would be so that awesome. That would be wonderful. Um, and then the shorter term goal is to get more women enrolled in clinical trials and pilot studies of new devices that are out there. That's probably the, the most important short term goal, goal that we have. 100%. 100%. Well, let us know how Femtech Focus can support that because we, uh, we are very passionate about that. And we're also looking to even start investing in companies. And so we have a, we do a lot of research on the femtech industry. And I recently gave a talk, the femtech landscape saying, you know, to date we've counted 587 active femtech companies in the world right now. And of the 587, two are in cardiovascular. I see you. Wow. wow. Which, two, which two are they, by the way? I'm, I'm um, one, is, one is called um, Bloom and it's oh, like a Bloom bra. Now? Oh, Bloom, the bra. Right. I yep. have heard of that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then I can't, I don't remember the other one off the top of my head. I, I know Bloom because I've, I've mentored her in the past, but it's really amazing when I start to dig in the data and make some graphs and I'm like, okay, y'all number one killer of women, only two companies. Now, obviously there's a ton of cardiovascular like innovation, but it's like, I was looking for what in our database, it's, it's things that are specifically targeted to women's specifics health. And so, yeah, um, there is going to be a giant, many, there's going to be many giant acquisitions and exits in women's heart health. If we can get innovators 
So um, if you're working on heart innovation right now for women, let me know because we want to invest in you because <laughs> we know that there are acquirers out there waiting for women's heart, you know, devices and drugs for sure. Do you agree? I, I could not agree with you more. And actually, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because we are ready. We are also ready <laughs> to have people come and try their pilot with us. Yeah, um, and, and, you know, that's one thing that I think that that femtech really needs. And even like, you know, these mainly even for these um, truly nascent startups is that that they are um, usually surrounded by other innovators and physicians are surrounded by big tech and big pharmaceutical companies. But there's not really a chance for physicians and these truly nascent startups to meet each other, which is why your podcast is so great, because we could really collaborate and and do so much better at refining the product, taking it to market, testing it. Um, when when you have access to physicians to physicians who have a very high volume practice, and that doesn't happen enough. Well, uh, American Heart Association, if you're listening, give me an innovation booth, uh, and I'll bring <laughs> the founders. I'll have a little mixer, and it would be awesome. Maybe I'll also fundraise there from cardiologists, you know, for our fund. Um, Wow. Well, this has been so amazing. What you're doing is so, so impressive. This is fantastic. I can't wait to continue to collaborate with you so we can help all the hearts, all the women's hearts out there. We have two last questions that our listeners really love. The first one is we have a lot of aspiring founders. So um, what is an area in women's health and wellness that still needs innovating? So I think there are a couple of different areas. Um, Wearables is one that is being looked into a lot. I think it could be used a little bit differently. So one question that I have as a cardiologist is a lot of, um, is giving actually pregnancy recommendations related to exercise. So we don't have enough. Um, Basically right now, the only real recommendation is heart rate, which is too simplistic. Um, But, you know, for, especially for well-conditioned people or even people who are not well-conditioned, it would be nice to know how much you can really safely push yourself without stopping your exercise completely or just resorting to just walking during pregnancy. And that sports bra that you referred to, or like a wearable t-shirt or something that tracks things like cardiac output and, um, and you know, your, your breathing rate and some other things could really be helpful in, in that area. And for so many people beyond just pregnancy, but pregnancy is the one that comes most to mind. Um, another, another area that would be really helpful is, um, gathering diagnostic data across multiple different disease states or conditions. So, um, for example, there was a tampon that was invented a few years ago. You probably heard about this next gen, next gen Jane, uh-huh. which is a tampon that collects serologic samples. And right now I think it's focused more on reproductive health, but why not use those samples to collect cholesterol levels and lipid levels? You know, that that would be really helpful too. Do you think you could track that in menstrual blood? I don't see why it has to be tested. Someone has to try it. <laughs> we gotta find out. We gotta find, gotta out. find out. Yeah, <laughs> no, hundred percent. Get it from a regular uh, venous sample. Any any blood should work. Yeah. Wow. That is really really interesting. 
I love that. And I wonder to myself as someone who's been a founder, investor, like mm-hmm. I wonder if they're just focusing on the reproduction part, fertility part, because that's like where the money is, you know, mm-hmm. and like founders in femtech often have a hard time explaining to male investors, like, no, this problem is not solved yet for women, you know, like, yeah. so I can imagine a male investor saying cholesterol tracking. That's, you know, like, meh, why would I fund that? That's solved. And it's like, not for women, like in this way. So Interesting, interesting. And I thought, um, did you see recently uh, Nike did a like um, uh, promotion with pregnant women like working out and they were like, who's the toughest? And they're like, pregnant women are there. The t-. And I was like, this is great, Nike. I really, I liked it. I was like, this is good. But now I'm going to share it and be like, did you know, like we have no exercise standard <laughs> for pregnant women? Like Nike, please fund this shit because- you know, if you're here being all like pregnant women, you're the best exercise athletes in the world, but yet we only have like one study or something that says like, mm-hmm. you know, increase your heart rate. I could do that while reading my email. Okay. <laughs> I can, I yeah, mean, so you know, unread emails I have right now, like yeah. increasing your heart rate is not a great, like, can you do a sit-up? Should you do a sit-up? Should, jumping jacks? What, mm-hmm. When does your cervix start to get affected by that stuff? You know, at what point in your pregnancy? Yeah. And I think a lot of pregnant women would love to push themselves a little bit more, but are afraid to because of, you know, what they think it can wow. do to their baby. Wow. So interesting. I am going to look more into this and share about it. Um, our last question is, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? So as I sort of alluded to earlier, I think the biggest thing would really be collaboration between physicians and startups, because unless they talk to each other, they can't understand what's happening down the pipeline. So physicians are get a good, good understanding of the cross section of the general population and can understand what are barriers to adopting new technology, whereas innovators are surrounded by other innovators most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's better at refining the product. Um, the other thing is that a lot of wellness apps are targeted right now to people who are generally pretty health conscious and are not marketed towards the people that really, really would benefit them the most. So we need to find a way to make new technology really attractive to people at all um, socioeconomic levels. I love that because I recently was getting really upset, like Peloton, all these at-home gym stuff because of the pandemic and like all the commercials are like, work out from home, work out from blah, 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 right? Buy our like $10,000 smart weight machine for your living room or penthouse or whatever. All of the people using them are the fittest, most fit ever, you know, they're like (laughs) muscles. And I've been watching this game. Like, are you kidding me? Like, can you please put somebody who's not fit on your commercial so that it's not just fit people getting this? It's crazy. I mean, maybe it's a sales ploy. Don't you want to look like this? But I don't know. I'm as a woman, I want to see myself up there. You know, I'm like, oh, well, I guess that's not for me, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of people, if they know that their friends and their neighbors are adopting this new technology, they're going to do it too, but they need to see someone that looks like their neighbor, yes. <laughs> not, you know, a supermodel and with amazing muscles. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm, I don't know. Sounds like it looks like your target market's real small. If I have to look like that to buy it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
Well, um, and then the last thing I'll just comment on when you said physicians and founders, we actually have uh, discovered a kind of an issue in entrepreneurship where founders will get one physician to be their chief medical officer or medical advisor. And they're like, we're good. Like they love our our med device or they love our app or whatever. And so like, you know, physician approved. And so we are actually, um, you know, different uh, entrepreneurship community organizers. We're actually trying to tell founders so great. You have one physician because actually there's a lot of founders that have they they go a long time without ever talking to a doctor and finding <laughs> out that is never going to work or that already exists or whatever. But if they do have medical input, it's usually from one doctor. And we're trying to tell them you need multiple physicians, you know, giving you their opinion. You can't, all the healthcare system in the world is not going to be based on one physician's opinion. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think that's one unfortunate advantage that these large pharma and tech companies have over the innovators is that they are going to multiple centers, big and small across the country, whereas these these tiny startups are just focused on like one large academic center somewhere on the coast. And so they're they're not even getting like the volume that they need or the diversity of opinions. And so that's where I think these pharma companies and the tech companies can sort of strong arm them, which is unfortunate. 100%. Yeah. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for your time today. I learned a lot from the beginning, hanging up your degrees as a legal requirement of physicians, <laughs> all the way to, we don't know how pregnant women should work out. Like, wow. And, and everything in between. Um, the, you know, this is a common, common thing on the show where every episode I'm just like, well, oh my God, good thing I'm here. Cause <laughs> like, I didn't know any of this and I bet a lot of other people didn't. So thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thank you for everything that you're doing for the community too. Thank you for listening to my interview with Dr. Amritha Karve, the co-director of Women's Heart Program. Heart health is the leading cause of death for women in the U.S. And yet there is such a lack of discussion around the gender disparities in heart research, treatment, and prevention. I'm grateful for doctors like Amritha, who's taking a stand within the cardiology industry. Alrighty, Femme fans, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter, leave a positive review on the podcast on the iTunes store, please. That means a lot to us. Um, join our virtual community. You can do that through our homepage as well. While you are in our virtual community, you should become a Fem Pro member. It's only $10 a month, and it gives you access to all the previously recorded events that we've done and free access to Femtech Fundamentals, which is a bi-weekly webinar that we put on in order to teach founders, uh, specifically Femtech founders, how to build, launch, and succeed in their business. While you are on the femtechfocus.org website, please consider setting up a recurring donation we are a 501c3 nonprofit and rely on your donations to operate. Okay, Fem fans, until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness. <laughs>